Thank you for tuning in to the Everyday Christian Podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad, which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, we show that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. Here is your host, Chase Green. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 3 of the Everyday Christian Podcast. This is your host, Chase Green. This is our second season with the Scattered Abroad Network of Podcasts, and I'm certainly thankful that you have joined us in our efforts to spread God's Word through these podcast efforts. I want to highlight one of our Scattered Abroad Network podcasts today. and Today I'm going to highlight the Transformed Podcast with Caleb Rutherford. This podcast airs on Tuesdays at the Scattered Abroad Network at scatteredabroad.org. You can check us out there. And I hope that you will check out this particular podcast. Caleb is a good buddy of mine. We go back uh, to preaching school and became good friends there. And he does a very good job on this podcast discussing the fact that we as Christians are to be transformed. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And that means that we have to constantly make effort to transform our lives in the image of Christ. So I hope that you will check out that podcast, the Transformed Podcast, which airs on Tuesdays at scatteredabroad.org. Well, today for the Everyday Christian Podcast, we're going to continue our study of the book of James. We're going to look at James chapter 2, part 1. James chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. And what we're going to talk about today are a, a warning about partiality and then also the royal law. Partiality and then the royal law. Verses 1 through 7, it, we have this warning about partiality. And James writes in James 2 verse 1, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Now, the New King James Version says partiality there. The Old King James says, with respect of persons. And I like that because it reminds me of the fact that God is not a respecter of persons either. Romans chapter 2, verses 11 through 12 says, For there is no partiality or no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. God is going to judge everybody the same. He's going to judge us fairly because God is just and, and fair. He's not going to show partiality on the day of judgment. We're all accountable to his New Testament law today, and God will judge us fairly according to it. Those who, who lived under the old law, those who lived under the patriarchal law, they also will be judged fairly according to the law in which they lived. Well, the word that Jesus has spoken is going to judge us at the last day, John 12, verse 48. So we know that God does not show partiality, but what are some ways that men tend to show partiality? What about racism? Well, yes, racism is definitely a form of showing partiality, isn't it? It's uh, showing preferential treatment to someone of uh, one's own skin color or racial background and uh, showing a, a disdain for someone of a different skin color or racial background. So certainly that is a form of partiality that James would be condemning here. 
What about looking down on someone who is uh, of a different social status, maybe looking down on the poor, for instance, or in some cases, maybe even uh, looking down on those who uh, have wealth and, and looking to them with envy. I guess that would be a form of partiality as well. What about showing partiality because of someone's age? We probably don't think about that one as much, but I think that can be the case sometimes. People don't want to uh, spend time with those who are elderly, perhaps, if, if they're young, or maybe vice versa. So I think that's a form of partiality as well. What about showing partiality because of politics? Maybe someone uh, wears this particular political name or another, and oh, how dare you, we will not have anything to do with you. And sadly, in, in today's political climate, uh, it's, it seems that people just shut down and, oh, you're that? Well, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to discuss. I'm not going to ever compromise in, in the political realm whatsoever. Uh, and, and we just have this terrible spirit of partisan politics today. Uh, I think that's a, a form of partiality we need to be careful about as well. And, and maybe partiality because of cliques. Sticking to certain social groups and not allowing anybody else into that particular group, and certainly that can be particularly dangerous uh, in the church. Another type of partiality that we're going to deal with here specifically is partiality over clothing. And really, this is a subcategory of the type of partiality that the rich sometimes have uh, against the poor. Let's look at verses 2 through 4. For if there should come into your assembly, a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to, or uh, King James have respect to, the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? I would hope that none of us as everyday Christians would intentionally do this, and I don't think that we would, but it is sometimes the case that there is this underlying tendency to do this without realizing it. I remember back in Louisiana one time, I had a homeless guy contact me, and he wanted to do a Bible study, which was great, and I enjoyed that. Uh, another uh, another church member and I studied with him for several weeks, and Unfortunately, he ended up backing out and, and not obeying the gospel, but we did try. We certainly uh, saw that as an opportunity to teach the gospel to him. But my question is, how many of us would see a homeless person as a soul that needs Jesus? His soul needs Jesus just as much as ours does. Do we see a homeless person that way? Or do we have a tendency to look down on them as the quote-unquote, undesirables of society. We need to remember what God told Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. He said, The Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We're not to judge according to the appearance. We are to judge righteous judgment. John 7, verse 24. I'm reminded of a true story, I think a true story, about a preacher who is arriving to preach his first sermon as he started a new work. Time for services was quickly approaching, ten minutes till, five minutes, 
three minutes till, one minute till, services are about to start and the preacher was nowhere in sight. The other men of the congregation started getting nervous. Is he a no-show? said some. Am I going to have to get up and preach? said another. Just as the final song before the sermon was sung, and everybody took a collective breath, a man got up from the back of the room. But this wasn't just any man. He was a homeless man. A man in tattered clothing, a man not clean-shaven, a man dirty and unkempt, an unnoticed man. In all honesty, they didn't really want him there. And then the man took off the disguise and got up to preach his first sermon as their new preacher. Maybe that's a true story. Uh, Maybe not. I'm not really sure. I've heard another variation of this story where uh, the people of the congregation actually didn't ignore him and actually showed love and, and welcomed him. So maybe this is just an anecdotal story. I'm not sure. But what's the point of that story? The point is that there's a stark contrast between the way that some people treat some people and others. Partiality. James says we're not to have partiality. Verse number five says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? I'm reminded of Matthew 5, verse 3, which says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You might remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the introduction to the book of James, we talked about how the fact that there's this great equality in Christ, and the poor are exalted and the rich are brought low to an equal playing field because we're all equal in Christ. Well, James says, that God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. It sounds like the poor have a place in the church, don't they? They have a place in heaven. It sounds like the souls of the poor matter. Yes, they do. Now, how do the poor feel when they are ignored, when they're uncared for, when they're unloved, when we show partiality against them, when we say to the rich, sit here, But to the poor, sit over there. Do we influence them for heaven if we're treating them that way? Look at verse number 6. James says, But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? James is saying, basically, it doesn't even make sense. The rich? The rich are the ones that are mistreating you. They're taking advantage of you. If the middle class would realize this, then there's probably a lot more in common with the poor than there is with the ultra-rich and powerful. But how many times is it that many of us in what we would call the middle class of society, we can't wait to be like those rich, and we wouldn't dare want to be like the poor? We need to be careful, brethren, to not be partial in our thoughts and feelings toward the poor. Isn't this the reason that the quote-unquote country club mentality exists? And I'm not against country clubs, per se, by any means. Uh, There's nothing wrong with going to play golf or uh, going to play pool or whatever, as long as you're doing that uh, without getting involved in some of the other things, like the alcohol and 
and such. But is it not the case that many people go to the country club because they want to hobnob with the rich? You see, they want to get their chance to be around the rich so that hopefully they can get opportunities to be the rich someday. You see, we need to be careful and we don't need to treat the church like that country club mentality. Well, let's look at verse number seven. James says, Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? It is oftentimes the powerful, the ultra-rich, the upper crust of society that tends to publicly blaspheme the name of Christ. Not always. It's not inherently sinful to be rich. We know that. There are plenty of examples of people in the Bible who were rich but were also faithful. But it is incredibly difficult to be rich and be faithful to God. For example, you can look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and there we find that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We also find in 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 that we're to com- command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Paul further tells Timothy to charge them to do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. You see, at the end of the day, life is not about riches. No, it's it's about using whatever God gives us as good stewards to his glory. So it's not inherently sinful to be rich. Don't don't get the wrong idea here in studying James chapter 2, but it is sinful to show partiality toward riches and to ignore the plight of and the spiritual condition of the poor. That's chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Let's look at chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. The royal law. Verse number 8. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. You've heard of the golden rule, but what about the royal law? This is the second commandment, isn't it? The first great commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like unto it, love our neighbor as ourselves. The royal law. Are we fulfilling the royal law? James says that if we do, then we do well. Incidentally, that's going to involve getting out of the pews and loving people, isn't it? Look at verse number 9. But if you show partiality... You commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. There it is. Showing partiality, that is, giving preferential treatment or giving respect of persons, is a sin. Are we guilty of this sin sometimes? The sin of partiality? Verse number 10 says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. You see, we've got to make sure that we're not living this way. We've got to make sure that we don't have this mindset of partiality. If we keep the whole law, if we are faithful Christians to the T, to the point, we dot all the I's and we cross all the T's of faithful Christianity, except we show partiality like this, 
James says we're guilty of all. That's pretty serious. One sin that is unrepented, that is uncovered by the blood of Christ, and and willfully sinned, is enough to keep us out of heaven. We're going to give some examples of this in a few verses. Look at verse number 11. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but if you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Just because a murderer does not commit adultery does not mean that he will stand uncondemned. He will stand condemned, not for adultery, but for murder. You see, we are condemned for the laws that we break. We're not pardoned for the laws that we didn't break. Pardon comes from the blood of Christ anyway. The blood of Christ is what cleanses us from our sins as we repent of them and and live faithfully as Christians. But the blood of Christ does not give us a license to just keep on living in unrepentant, willful sin. Romans 6, verses 1 and following. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Look at James 2, verse 12. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty, otherwise known as the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2, otherwise known as the words of Christ, John 12.48, we are going to be judged by the standard of the New Testament, the standard of the law of Christ, the standard of the words of Christ. We will be judged by that. Incidentally, when someone uh, manipulates Scripture and says, oh, we're not under a law at all today, they need to read this passage, and they need to read Galatians 6, 2, and they need to realize we are. We're not under the law, that is, the law of Moses, but we're still under a law. We're under the law of Christ. Finally, look at verse number 13. Verse number 13, James says this, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs. Over judgment. This has to do with our attitude, which is part of what will be factored into our judgment. Do we have a forgiving attitude, or do we have an unforgiving attitude? Do we have an attitude of partiality, or an attitude of impartiality? Do we have an attitude of mercy, or an attitude of no mercy? Are we compassionate with people? Or do we show no compassion? Do we show concern for others? Or do we simply ignore others? Ignore the plight of others? Ignore the spiritual plight of others? Do we have an attitude of fairness like God does? Or do we have an attitude of unfairness? You see, God is going to take this into account. God's word is going to discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Hebrews 4, verse 12. So we have to constantly check our heart to make sure that it's right in God's sight. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 
So we, when we put these two ideas together, we understand then that God is going to judge, number one, our actions. And number two, God is also going to judge our attitudes. God's going to judge both on the day of judgment. I hope that you're enjoying this study of the book of James as I am enjoying uh, going through this and, and studying it myself. This is such a good practical book. And Lord willing, next week we will continue our study looking at part two of James chapter two. And this is an important one because it shows us that faith without works, that is faith without action, faith without obedience is dead. I hope that you'll tune in next week for the Everyday Christian Podcast as we talk about that very important part of James chapter 2. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. That's thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms, and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ, even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.